Let's give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, beginning in Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate space. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for providing it to us and for sustaining it through the ages that we might have it. Yes, Lord, we have it even in our own language. We've heard it read as such this morning. And so we come to you and ask that you would grant to us more than physical hearing and understanding that by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that Lord, you would give us spiritual understanding. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things. Teach us, train us, correct us. Lord, even rebuke us for righteousness sake. Make us like Jesus and help us, O oh God, in our time of need. Lord, help me, your servant, protect me from error. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. O oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord, you are our refuge, our ever-present help in time of trouble. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes the simplest lessons we have learned are the hardest ones to remember. Sometimes the easiest lessons are the hardest ones to remember. Uh, in the Lehman home several years ago, we were planning to have our favorite soup. Now this isn't just any soup, it's a special soup. And by that, all I mean is it sits in the crock pot and cooks all day long and I get to smell it and I get to look forward to having it. Well, that morning, Megan and I got everything prepared and we placed it into the crock pot and we turned the crock pot on low for the day and we went about what we were doing. Around midday, Megan happened to look in the pot and noticed that it didn't look like it was cooking at all. So she turned it up to high, thinking, well, it's just gotta cook faster. And she walked away. Well, as the time got close to dinner and I got home, um, she happened to look in there once again and still it looked like it wasn't cooking. So after some inspection, she realized what the problem was. And you can probably guess, she forgot to plug in the crock pot. All that prep, all that time, and she forgot to provide 
electricity that was needed to cook the contents. See, the easiest of lessons was the hardest to remember. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Dan, you need to stay at my house tonight. You need a place to sleep tonight. No, I have your permission, right, Megan? Yep, not the first time I've shared this one. Uh, she gives me permission to share that. Megan's a wonderful wife and mother and a great cook. But again, sometimes the easiest lessons, right, are the easiest ones to forget the hardest to remember. This reality can be applied to our Christian lives as well. Perhaps we find ourselves struggling spiritually. And when we stop to ask why, we discover that we've been neglecting one of the basics. Something we already know, but have somehow managed to forget again. But what? What are these basics? We understand that a crock pot must be plugged into the wall to get electricity. What are the basics in our Christian life? Well, we forget to read and study the Bible, not remembering that God's word gives us life. We forget the power of prayer, not remembering that God's blessing is ours for the asking. We forget that we cannot make it on our own, not remembering our deep dependency on the Holy Spirit. We forget that we do not have to work our way to heaven. We don't remember that God has fully accepted us in Christ. We forget how much God loves us. We don't remember that we are all his sons and daughters. We forget that our Father knows best, our Father in heaven. We forget that he knows best not remembering to trust his sovereign will and plan for our lives as it unfolds. And we forget, oh, do we forget that God will provide, not remembering his promise to give us even our daily bread. This morning, as we continue in our series through this gospel according to Luke, we encounter Jesus' disciples and they're suffering the same kind of spiritual amnesia that we often suffer as well. It's amazing, right, to think that for as much time as they spent with Jesus, as much time as they were right there with their Lord, they sure do seem to forget about as much, maybe even more, than they have learned. But as we encounter their forgetfulness in this text today, it doesn't just highlight how quickly we also forget and, and how badly we also need to remember. Rather, it also serves to teach us once again the important connection between dependence and gratitude. And it encourages us to depend on Jesus, to depend on Christ as we serve him and his kingdom. That's at the heart of this text. And if you're anything like me, it's certainly a lesson of which I need to be reminded again and again and again. So let's learn this lesson again by considering first a desperate need. If you're taking notes this morning, I know many of you like to, this is the first of three points, a desperate need need. So this uh, miracle of Jesus feeding the thousands is a familiar one, isn't it? In fact, it's only one of two miracles that are mentioned in all four gospels. Quiz time. Does anyone know the other one? The resurrection. Good job. The resurrection. Most people remember this story 
They know the feeding of the 5,000, right? They know the story, but they often forget the context, which is what's good about preaching through a book of the Bible, as we do here. You remember last week in verses one through six, we learned together that Jesus' disciples uh, had been sent out, right? And they had just returned from a time of being out in the villages, preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick all over Galilee. Can you even imagine what that was like? What an amazing experience of God's power and God's provision in their ministry that they were able to experience. And upon their return, the apostles tell Jesus all they had done. They get back. Can you imagine that scene? Hey, Jesus, guess what? It actually worked just like you said it would. If you turn to Mark 6.31, which you don't have to now, but you can write it down. Mark 6.31 reveals to us that Jesus invites them he invites them to come away with him to rest. Come away with me to rest. Because many were coming and going, even while they were gone. Many were still coming and going to Jesus. And now that they're back, many are coming and going from their presence. And they had, as Luke tells us, no leisure even to eat. Tired, hungry, emotionally and physically spent, these men needed some time away. They needed some rest, even more. They had a desperate need for some time away with Jesus. They needed some time away with him. So it says that they withdrew to go on a retreat with him to a remote town called Bethsaida. But the hope to escape the public eye was quickly dashed. Luke tells us that a large multitude heard of it and followed them. Just when they thought they were gonna get some time away, a huge crowd follows them. And Jesus, who's full of compassion, does not do what our first reaction might be to do. I mean, think about it. Maybe you've been here, you finally get that much needed time for yourself. And then the very thing that makes you exhausted pops right back up again. Maybe it's an email, unexpected, an email from work, your boss asking something of you. Or maybe it's the call from a loved one or a neighbor asking you to help with something. Or maybe it's the once satisfied and entertained child who now needs something again. All you need is just a little bit of rest. Do you ever find yourself saying that? I just need a moment. I just need a moment. You need rest. You need to rejuvenate yourself and prepare yourself to go back to doing life. But life has other plans. God has other plans. The multitude here had other plans, but Jesus, he seems unfazed by their presence. It was his idea to go away for a while, right? But he seems unfazed that they're there. We're told in verse 11 that Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and he cured those who had need of healing. We may have been tempted to ask them to come back later. Just go away for a little bit. Go away. Jesus welcomed them. He welcomed them. He was more than willing to be inconvenienced, more than willing to be interrupted, more than willing to have the opportunity to preach the kingdom of God and to minister to their needs. He's a good teacher, isn't he? Isn't that what we saw last week? It's exactly what he sent the people out to do. 
to preach the kingdom of God and to heal, to minister to their needs. And here he is still doing it for them. You see, the way that Jesus welcomes these people not only reminds us that we can go to him at any time, and that's a good reminder, right? But it also serves to establish a pattern for our own ministry as well. Our ministry to the home, our ministry within the church, our ministry within the community. And that is this, even when we're tired and weary, even when we want to take a break from other people and their problems, we still need to be ready. Perhaps the Lord is giving us an opportunity to share our lives in the gospel with them and to help meet their needs. Well, that's a tough balance, isn't it? You awake? That's a hard one. That's a hard one to balance because you need your rest. You need your time away, right? But we also need to be ready. Not all appointments are on our calendar. Some of them are divine appointments that God brings and says, here, serve, serve me. Well, all of that provides the background for another desperate need. Maybe the biggest need of this It's a desperate need faced by the disciples. We read of it in verse 12. Look there again. The day began to wear away, so it's getting late. And the 12 came and they said to Jesus, get rid of the crowd. Send them away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions or or food. For we are here in a desolate place. Like we're in the desert, Jesus. It's late. Nighttime approaches. And these guys have logistical concerns. Men after my heart, right? If you're administratively minded, you're like, there's some logistical concerns here. How are we gonna do this? Where would all these people get something to eat? Not, not even to mention a place to stay. Especially in the desert, open to the elements. It's really good to see that these men were thinking of others. But if you look deeper, the way they approach Jesus seems just a little suspect, doesn't it? They were hungry too. They were hungry, and you can't help but wonder how much this had to do with their request, especially since it reads more like a demand. Send the crowds away, Jesus. We could literally translate that as, get them out of here! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Get them out of here. Send them away. Let them look after their own needs. Look at all you've done for them, right? Let them look after their own need for food, their own need for shelter, so we can have you all to ourselves. So we can have perhaps what you'll provide. But in all of that, there were some things that they were forgetting. Some things that they needed to remember. So Jesus responds with a demand of his own. They make a demand of him. So he responds with a demand. And if you're taking notes, we'll call this one our second point, an impossible demand. Jesus makes upon them an impossible demand. One that proves to be yet another test, another test for the disciples' fitness for ministry. Maybe we'll call it the final exam of their internship up to this point. Look what Jesus demands of them in verse 13. Look there again. You give them something to eat. Don't overlook that. You give them something to eat, exclamation point exclamation point, exclamation point. You do it. It's a demand, not a question. But what are are we to make of it? Is Jesus serious or not? 
I think he's absolutely serious. And it seems that his demand serves to accomplish two things. First, it serves to get the disciples to recognize their own inadequacy. I mean, they had just kind of been up on the mountaintop, right? Doing these things, seeing it happen. Jesus wants to remind them of their own inadequacy. Jesus wanted them to see that of their own power, they were unable to give the people something to eat. To do it, they're gonna have to depend on him to supply whatever was needed. The second thing that this demand serves to accomplish is to remind the apostles of their responsibility. The emphasis of this demand is on the word you, or y'all, yens, you guys, whatever you say. You give them something to eat. They were the ones who noticed what the people needed. They were the ones who wanted to send them away to get it. They were also the ones who shared responsibility. Responsibility to provide, that's part of their internship. That's part of their growing in ministry. So Jesus insists you feed them, you do it. It's helpful to remember the context once again. I've already said it a few times. Remember they're coming back from a mission trip. They had already performed many miracles. Could it be that in the name of Christ, they also had the power to feed the hungry? Is it possible that he's like, look at what I gave you when I sent you out to do, so do it. We'll never know, will we? We'll never know if they had the ability to do it because they didn't obey Christ's command. Instead, they insisted that they couldn't do it. Their response was this, you can see it. We have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. The way they respond to him shows that the idea that Jesus shares with them, you feed them, to them sounded absurd. Especially when we learn that there were about 5,000 men. Pay attention to that. We know the story is the feeding of 5,000, but we should know it as the feeding of 5,000 men because that's how the people were counted by the head of the household. Add in the women, the wives and other women, and add in the children. And you can just imagine what that number was, right? At least three times as much. Think about that. How in the world would they provide that much food for so many people? They didn't have it. In fact, they didn't have the money to buy what was needed. You can look at the parallel account in John 6, feeding everyone would cost a fortune. Philip points out in John 6, 7, that it would cost eight months wages to feed all these people. Eight months of wages to feed all these people. And why I say it's suspect is because the disciples are kind of flipping about it. Even if we could go buy all the groceries, right? What's for dinner? Well, if you would have bought groceries, if I could just go get groceries, we'd be okay. It's a very interesting interplay here mixed with a little bit of the disciples' own sarcasm. They thought it was ridiculous for Jesus to suggest that they do such a thing. So the trouble here for the disciples was that they were looking at things from a human perspective, from a merely human perspective. They were actually acting like men without a God. 
thinking only in terms of what they had on hand and what they had the ability to provide or go and purchase from their own resources. They weren't considering the power and providence of their God. In fact, the very son of God in the flesh standing before them, Jesus' demand should have startled these men into thinking of his power to provide. But instead, it only caused them to despair of their own powerlessness, their own weakness in the face of an impossible task. The disciples were forgetting that they had a God. They weren't remembering his power to provide. Perhaps like me, you read this and you see so much of yourself in the disciples. Do you see yourself in that response? When I think about all the responsibility I have to provide for others, it's absolutely overwhelming to say the least. Yet Jesus time and again calls me to remember a most basic lesson. And that lesson is this, God is not limited by my inadequacies. God is not limited by me. Rather, my very limitations can display the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ whenever he does through me what I'm unable to do on my own. And it's the same for you. God's not limited by your inadequacies. God can do more than you can ask, think, or imagine according to the power at work within you. God can and will one man who understood that God's power is made perfect in weakness was a man by the name of Robert Morrison. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a missionary to China. In 1805, the London Missionary Society recruited him to go to China for the first time. It was during the Napoleonic Wars, however, and the only British ships traveling to China belonged to the East India Company, and they refused to transport missionaries. So he had a problem. I gotta get there, how do I get there? So he went to the United States, hoping to book passage there. When the owner of a ship heard about him and his plans, he was very skeptical. This is what he said. And so, Mr. Morrison, do you really expect that you will make an impression on the idolatry of the great Chinese empire? He's basically saying, do you think you're gonna do any good there? Here's how Morrison responded. No, sir. I expect that God will. That's why I'm going. I expect God will. Do you think that you will be able to provide for all the needs that you're expected to fulfill? If you depend on your own power and ability, if I depend on my own power and ability, if we do that, we'll find ourselves in the exact same position as the disciples, forgetting that we have a God and forgetting about his power to provide. The impossible task will become all the more impossible, and there's no doubt that struggle and misery will follow. But if we expect God to do great things, if we expect that God will provide, if we embrace his power in the face of our weakness, that doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean that it may not achieve the result we thought it would. However, God's not limited by us. God will. He will work through our failures. He'll work through our many trials. And he will. He has. 
He is and he will prove himself faithful. He will prove himself faithful. He will make the impossible possible. He will. When we remember this, even when we're at the very end of our rope, perhaps that's where you are this morning. You feel like you're at the very end of your own resources. But if we remember that, even at that point, we are finally ready to see what God can do. And also we're ready to watch as God does what he can only do. In the case of our text this morning, what God does is make a miraculous provision through his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. That's the third thing I want us to consider this morning, if you're taking notes, a miraculous provision. Look at verses 14 through 17 as I read them again. For there were about 5,000 men And Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and they were all satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Can you even imagine? I mean, how many times have you heard this account? Don't close your ears off to it. If this is the hundredth time, you should be praising God a hundred times more. Praise God. Can you even imagine? We hear this so much that we forget how amazing it really is. In fact, the the tense of the Greek verb used here with breaking uh, indicates that Jesus kept breaking and breaking the bread. You couldn't even tell what was going on. He's just breaking the bread and distributing it, breaking it and distributing it, breaking and distributing it. It's like he didn't go and grab another piece. He just kept breaking it and it just kept multiplying right out of his very hands. The more he broke it, the more there was for everyone to eat until everyone was not hangry anymore. You know what I'm talking about. I'm so hungry that I'm angry. That's where hangry comes from, if you didn't know that. So I'll just eat a Snickers bar. That's what the commercial says. But you know, that's not gonna satisfy you. They tell you it does, but it doesn't. These people were satisfied. Don't miss that word. They didn't get just enough to get by. They were full, satiated. They were satisfied. But even then, there's still some left over. 12 full baskets of broken pieces. In other words, one basket for each of the 12. Here you go. Here you go. More than they can eat, right? More than they can eat, but enough. I can just imagine in my mind, scripture doesn't tell us this, but as I think about it, just them grabbing the basket and the weight of it, whether it was a big one or a small one. We've all seen the kids' stories. Sometimes the baskets are huge, right? Sometimes they're small. Whatever weight it was, can you imagine what that was like? Oh, wow. Wow. Look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. Look what he was able to do. He provided far more than they ever expected. I think this teaches us a very important lesson. Every time God meets our needs, we should savor it. 
We should savor the abundance of his provision so that the next time we find ourselves in need, we do not forget to trust him to provide. I'd like to say that the disciples never once again didn't trust God to provide, but we know their stories, right? They're like us. We're like them. We forget. But imagine if we took time to remember. Think about your basket that's full your basket that barely has anything in it. Think about what God has done, can do, and will do. Even if you've learned that lesson before, you need to relearn it because we're so easily prone to forget. God provides for his people. But there's one more oft-overlooked lesson in this provision given through this miracle. Did you notice what Jesus did before he started breaking the bread? Did you notice? Look at verse 16. It tells us that he looked up to heaven and he prayed. He said a blessing. He prayed. You see, the disciples were anxious about where people could get some food. Jesus isn't worried at all. He's not nervous about it at all. He simply prays. Instead of only looking at the difficulties of their situation like they were doing, Jesus looked straight to his father in heaven and he blessed the food. In early 2016, I was in the, the far eastern provinces of the Gambia, what they call the bush, out in the middle of nowhere. I was doing some theological training with Kenyaji pastors in the area. And one evening we traveled to a, a small remote village. And when we arrived, it was dinner time. As was custom for, for white Western visitors like myself, I was given this really big, large bowl of food. It wasn't much. Uh, but it was rice, white rice with ground up peanuts in it. That's it. No meat, no vegetables, no sauce, just white rice and ground up peanuts. Not peanut butter, just ground up fragments of peanuts. As I stared at this food, I was overcome with sorrow, right? I was overcome with sorrow for the poverty of these people. Even more so when I noticed, as is custom in West Africa, many people will eat around a common bowl. There were eight other men, grown men, sitting around a bowl the same size that I was given for my own meal, sharing that as their own. Well, as I put my spoon into the mixture to take my first bite, I was interrupted. Pastor, shouldn't we give thanks for this food before we eat it? Yeah. Of course, I said, as is also custom at dinner, the eldest man in the village stepped forward and he prayed. And how he began his prayer has stayed with me to this day. He said, Lord, you told us to ask you to provide our daily bread and you've done it. You've done it. Thank you for this food. It's not much, but you gave it to us and we're gonna eat it with gladness. I don't remember what he said after that. I don't remember. What a good rebuke. What a good reminder for my friend, for my soul. If we could embrace just how dependent we are upon God for all things, Perhaps we could remember to give thanks for even the simplest of 
provisions, whether it be food or income, shelter, friendships, whatever. Everything we have is a gift from God, right? And we should be thankful for it. Such an easy lesson that's all too easily forgotten. This morning, we've seen Jesus provide a feast for those who come to him hungry. He embraces the desperate need before him and he gives a miraculous provision all to remind his apostles, even to remind us that he is able to do far and above more and beyond whatever we ask or think. And in so doing, he gives us, he gives you and me a wonderful reminder. I'm the bread of life. Let's come down from heaven, he says later. All who come to me shall eat and be satisfied. One of the reasons this miracle has such a special place in the hearts of God's people is that it speaks to so many, if not all, of our needs. But after everything else has been said about this passage, the main lesson actually is this. All we really need is Jesus. What's your greatest need? Think about your life. What is your greatest need? Hear this. Your greatest need is need. I'll say it again. Your greatest need is need. Your greatest need is your need for Jesus. The very Jesus who came to save your soul, who's promised to be with you and not forsake you, who's promised to provide your daily bread and all your needs is the very person, the very thing that you need most. So brothers and sisters, go to him. Those apart from Christ, go to him. Brothers and sisters, pray to him. Pour out your soul to him. Trust in him. Walk with him in his word. Will you remember that simple lesson? That all you need is your need for Jesus. You need him. Will you remember that? May God help us to do so. Amen and amen.